I don't know for you guys where your whole like love for Disney movies stands, right? But in the Lausanne household, we have a pretty high tolerance for it. And I'll tell you this, it's really not that unusual for me to walk in on Lindsay, my wife, serenading our dog to songs from Beauty and the Beast or to be quoting talking animals that are frolicking across our television screen on any particular day in time. But lately, the movie that's been on at our place has been Disney's Moana, which I don't know if you guys have seen this movie before, but I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, do you guys have kids or like, why are you always having Disney movies on at your place? And the answer is no, we do not have kids. Lindsay is just obsessed with these movies. And so uh, I'll tell you, this is a true story. When Moana came out on DVD, being the sweet, loving, incredibly thoughtful, yet humble husband that I am, I went and got it for Lindsay and I was going to just surprise her and give it to her like a normal person would. And rather than accepting it like a normal person, she snatched it out of my hands and fell to the floor with tears streaming down her cheeks. And, uh, well, you know, that was bothersome for lots of reasons, but now that I'm thinking about it, uh, she didn't even cry on her wedding day. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure what that says where her heart's at, but you know, we're working through some things. Um, but in the movie, the protagonist is this young girl named Moana, and she's living on this tropical island out in the middle of the ocean, and she just looks like she is living this life that is amazing, right? Her dad is the chief of the island. Moana is the chief in training. She has incredible community. She has a loving family. She has power, wealth, and influence, but despite all of these things that she has, she goes through a little bit of an identity crisis. Something deep within her soul sees everything that she has and longs for something greater. She feels called to sail the seas out into the unknown and discover what it is that she's missing, right? But her family keeps telling her that it's too dangerous. And so Moana tries to get content and satisfied living on this island with all of the things. And as this is happening, she can't help this overwhelming feeling deep within her soul that there's something out there that she needs that she doesn't have yet. And it overwhelms her to the point where she starts singing these songs about how far she's going to go in order to find the answers and the satisfaction that her soul craves, right? She starts singing, every turn I take, every trail I travel. Every path I make, every road leads back to the place I know where I cannot go, but where I long to be, right? That's what she says. And what she's saying there is every time I search for joy and satisfaction in the things that I have, in the fame, power, wealth, influence, in this incredible community, and even in a loving family, it's not enough. It's not enough. Everything leads back to that call to discover what it is that she's missing, that ultimate joy in life by setting sail into the unknown to find where she cannot go, but where she longs to be. And so eventually she does this. She sets sail out into uncharted waters on a journey to find the answers that will satisfy the deepest longings of her soul. Now, why tell you that story? Why talk to you about Moana's story? Because our joy in life won't be found in making ourselves feel good, but in bringing God glory. 
We can seek to purchase happiness, but we will absolutely rob ourselves of a purpose-filled life in joyful pursuit of God because temporary joy can be found in collecting worldly treasures, but eternal joy and purpose will be found in emptying ourselves out in the pursuit of knowing God and making God known. And here's the thing. Moana's story and the Queen of Sheba's story are very similar, and I think if we are honest with ourselves, we would admit that it's also very similar to the story that we desire for ourselves, right? They both have wealth, fame, and influence. They both end up realizing this isn't getting the job done, and then they both set out on a difficult journey in search of what it is that they're looking for. So I feel like God has me here tonight, that I am here tonight to tell you that the journey you're on is worth it. To that person who has to get up on Monday and go again, to that person who is seeking answers but they can't find the right questions or they have these questions and they can't find the right answers, to that person who is seeking satisfaction but keeps digging up disappointment. If you are in here and you feel like, I just long to be accepted but I feel like I've been defeated because of a denial so many times in my life that that's not possible. Maybe for you, you struggle with comparison and you see all these people up here and you feel like, man, they're being praised in public while I'm in here in the corner being pruned in private. I'm talking to you. And I think most of us would agree when I say the journey is worth it. But even for those of us who are in Christ, one of the major mistakes that we make is we hitch the joy in our life to the circumstances of our journeys in life. And here's the problem with that. When we hit a different bump in the road, Anytime we hit one, it ends up knocking the joy right out of us. And that could be a different bump for all of you. I don't know what it is. For some of you, it could be anxiety or fear. Maybe it's jealousy or comparison. It could be bitterness or anger, lust or greed. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'll tell you when something in life hits us, it knocks the joy right out of us like a punch to the face knocks a tooth loose. But I want you to know that the joy that you're seeking isn't only available to you when your journey with Jesus is going smoothly or when you're nearing the end of your journey, but joy is available to you tonight, right now, in the middle of your journey. It's available here tonight. But a lot of us come into this place like you've lost the fight and it's over. We're ready to give up, but I'm telling you, no sir, no ma'am, you need to come on back because here's the thing. When life hits you and you feel like the enemy is telling you that you're down for the count, God is in your corner whispering to you to get back up and to continue the fight by his strength and by his grace and in his power. But here's the thing that the enemy knows. He knows that if we're walking with Jesus, he has no chance over the power that lives within us. But what he can't destroy, the enemy tries to discourage. And when he discourages us, we end up grabbing hold of the enemies or the lies of the enemy rather than the truth of God, right? But I'm telling you, it's time to recover and remember what Romans chapter 8 says, that in Christ we're more than conquerors and that we cannot be separated from his love, a love that it brings us a joy that 1 Peter 1.8 describes as an inexpressible joy. And it's funny, that word inexpressible in the original Greek language, which is the language that the New Testament was written in, that word inexpressible is translated from a Greek word called anaklalitas. 
And that word is so rich in Greek that it occurs just one time in all of the New Testament, and it's used to describe the joy that we have in a relationship with Jesus. A joy that's so profound that it's beyond our capabilities as humans to express. And so my question for us is, well, why don't we always feel like we have inexpressible joy? Why don't we always feel like we're more than conquerors? Why do we feel discouraged so often on our journey? And I think the answer is that if we look into the deepest corners of our soul, if we get really honest with ourselves, we'll find that we seek joy and satisfaction somewhere other than a relationship with Christ more often than we care to admit. You look in 2 Chronicles 9 and the Queen of Sheba goes to visit King Solomon who's famous for his wisdom. And you have to remember that in 1 Kings chapter 3 when this is happening, you know, when Solomon's first kind of coming into this time where he's a king, God comes to King Solomon in a dream and he says to him, Solomon, ask me what I should give you and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, God, I want wisdom and discernment. And that answer pleased God so much that he not only made Solomon the wisest man alive, but he gave him all the riches that he didn't ask for because a normal man would have said, Lord, I want a long and easy life. I want these riches. But God said, since you didn't ask for that, I'll give you both. And so the queen of Sheba has heard about this, right? All these riches and all of this wisdom has made Solomon the most famous man alive. And she says, I gotta go see this guy. I don't believe this, like I'm rich. I don't understand how someone has more than I do, but I know that I'm missing something in my life. And so the queen of Sheba goes to see Solomon. But it's not like she's taking an Uber across town. Because here's the thing, Sheba was located in modern day Yemen, which was 1400 miles from Jerusalem, where King Solomon was. And so this would have taken at least six months both ways. That's at least a year out of her life where she says, I'm committed to going on this journey to find these answers. That's like me saying to all of you right now, we're done here tonight, everyone on your feet, we're walking to Denver. It's the same distance, it's crazy. But she is determined to seek answers to the questions that she has and to find that joy and satisfaction that she doesn't have already. You look at 2 Chronicles 9 in the beginning and it says the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame. So she came to test Solomon with difficult questions at Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke with him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for Solomon to explain to her. I don't know what you get out of that when you hear that or when you read that, but I'll tell you my theological opinion is this. The queen is low. She's got cash. Okay, like she's balling and she doesn't have a budget. She doesn't need one. She can't outspend what she's got. This is saying she's accompanied by powerful people from her kingdom. She's got fine spices, large quantities of gold. She's got precious stones. I mean, she'd even be carried by servants in this royal procession, right? She'd have been on one of those little like portable bed things while everyone did the work. She'd just kind of be chilling and that's what's happening right here. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that she's making the royal wedding look like child's play. She's like Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, see ya, okay? Like, I got a big deal going on here. Like, my squad is way crazy richer than yours is, all right? And you say, well, Luke, how do you know that? It doesn't, like, explicitly say that. 
Well, you look in verses nine through 11 and it says, when she and Solomon exchanged gifts, that there were never such spices as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Never before had anything like this been seen. So this, this isn't like me and you exchanging something like, hey, I'll give you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Thank you for that sock. That was very nice of you. Like that's about the budget that we have in here. But this is like Bill Gates and Oprah having a gift exchange, okay? I mean, this is like, I mean, she, she really is. The queen of Sheba's pulling an Oprah. She's like, you get precious stones. You get large quantities of gold. Everyone here gets a gold-covered elephant. And it's like, what the heck am I going to do with that? It's like, who cares? It's tight. She's got money to blow, son. And that's what's going on. The queen has every treasure you could ever want, but it doesn't bring her joy and satisfaction. And you say, well, Luke... How do you know that she didn't get any joy and satisfaction out of that? And I'd say, I don't know that she didn't get any, but it didn't last. And the reason you can say for sure that it didn't work out for her to have all these riches around her and be like, yes, this is all I've ever wanted in my life, is you can see that the terrain of the trip that she goes on is treacherous. This 1,400-mile trip wasn't like, hey, guys, let's walk across the plains of the Midwest. Like, it's not like going across North Dakota or something like that. No, there was deserts that she had to go through. She had to go through mountains. There would have been thieves constantly trying to steal from her entourage that her army would have had to fight off. So to go through these lengths, right, these dangers and difficulties, these struggles and trials to find the answers that will satisfy her soul means something is greater that she doesn't have that's compelling her to go and find it. Money, fame, and influence haven't been enough. And the enemy does this with us, right? He often brings us to a place of discouragement by way of encouragement. We feel discouraged because we feel like we aren't enough and we feel like we aren't enough because the enemy has encouraged us to look for our worth in something other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we do. So we start looking for it in what we wear or what we drive, where we live. How many people know who we are? We put it in things like Instagram. I don't know how that's possible. How many people like me, follow me? You know, it's interesting, the other day I was watching a movie from the 90s. You pick any 10-year period in film history and you can be like, man, that guy was in everything back in the day, right? You can do it with actors and actresses. You see that they were all over the place and it's like, I haven't seen them in anything recently. Did they just kind of like fall off the face of the earth? Like, seriously, are they dead? Like, what's going on? I haven't seen them. And so you IMDB them and you're like, nope, they're still very much alive. They're just not in anything. And for me, one of those guys that used to be on top of the world, and he's still relevant today, just not nearly as much, but uh, his name's Jim Carrey. Used to be on top of the world in films that should have been getting Oscars all the time, right? Like Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, like The Mask. And here's the thing, though. He was making $20, $30 million a movie back in the 90s, early 2000s. He was making a crazy amount of money, but he has this terrifyingly depressing quote that I thought like, man, that is so sad, but I think it's something so relevant to who we are in the culture that we're living in today. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. 
And you might say, well, you know, Jim Carrey, he missed out because, you know, he hit his stride before like Apple was a big thing, okay? Like, I mean, Jim Carrey wasn't out there just buying like the newest AirPods and iPhones and all that stuff, you know? It'd be cooler to have money today and be more famous today because you can capitalize on it more with how quickly media has developed and how much attention we can garner for ourselves. And I'd say, well, if you feel that way, go and listen to Drake's album, Scorpion. He released it this past summer. He's got a song on there called, Is There More? Is There More? And in the song he asks, is there any sense in doing these songs when I'm high? Is there more to life than going on trips to Dubai, yachts on the 4th of July, G5 soar in the skies? Is there more to life than all of these corporate ties? That's one of music, not just music, culture's most famous and powerful influences on the culture, saying, publicly proclaiming, is there more than what I've got going on? Is there more to life than escaping reality? A reality, by the way, that for me is what most people wish their reality was. I got yachts, I got jets, I'm dealing with big time deals from big time people, and guess what? I'm still wondering, is there more to life than this? Please tell me there's more than this. And the Queen of Sheba can relate. Because as the queen and the ruler of her kingdom, she has more money than you could ever hope to get in your lifetime, more power than you could ever hope to attain, and it's not enough to bring her that joy and satisfaction she desires and knows is missing. She has everything that this generation wants, and it doesn't satisfy her. And listen, I'm not bashing a generation, okay? I'm not bashing millennials or Gen Z or anything like that. Okay, I like nice things. I have Instagram, all right? I get it. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things unless they become a source of pride or approval. Then there's everything wrong with them. And like we could get into like, you know, is it like a little, is it like wrong to go and take a photo shoot of yourself and you know, plan to do the whole like rooftop thing? I'm like, no, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. We could get into narcissism, but we don't have time for it, all right? But is your aesthetic on something you can't even touch, on something that you don't have a relationship with? Is cultivating that more important than cultivating a deep, long-lasting relationship with your Savior? Is there something that you need someone to say when you pull up in a nice car or when you say, hey man, you have a lot of followers on this or that? Is there something that you need someone to say when they walk into your place and be like, man, I needed that validation? Is there something that you need people to validate for you that God hasn't already validated about you through his word? And all I'm saying is that if you're in this place tonight, and I don't really care if you're in ripped jeans or blue jeans, I don't really care if you rolled up this thing in a Bentley or a Buick, I don't care if you got 2 million followers or 12, I don't care if you live in the Hamptons or the projects. Whatever you're doing right now and you feel like, man, I just feel like there's gotta be more and I'm not able to attain it, there are things that God is doing in your life that you can't see and you've gotta understand that being seen doesn't equate to being significant. Having Validation from people is nothing like having validation from God. There's nothing like it. You look in Galatians 3.23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. What does that mean? It means that before Jesus, God gave his people a law and it showed that he had a standard that was impossible to achieve without him. He was saying, hey, you can't work your way up to me. I have to make my way down to you. 
There's nothing, there's nothing that I need from you is what he's saying, but you need me. And the good news is that I want you. You know, God does this with us, right? He will allow us to be held captive by difficult circumstances in our life to help us realize that the faith revealed to us in Christ is the way out and that we can trust him. He brings joy that isn't bound by our circumstances. It breaks through beyond our circumstances. You look in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, in, in his book, he's venting to God about wanting justice between a divided Israel and Judah. And God says in chapter two, write this vision, make it plain on tablets, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Just because you can't see what God's doing in your life doesn't mean that God isn't working in your life. And, and you want to know how sure you can be of that? God says you can write this on, on a tablet. You can write this in stone. He doesn't say, hey, break out some papyrus or some paper. He says, no, you can etch this in stone that what seems like a delay in your life is a divine appointment waiting to happen, but you have to wait on it. When hope seems like it's lost, when things seem slow, wait on it, worship through it, and stay faithful in it for the glory of God. He's doing more than you can see, more than you can see see and feel, but you have to trust him. You have to trust him because trusting in our own abilities, it never goes well. You see Moses in his story, he tries to take things into his own hands. He tries to go and bring redemption for his people. And he ends up killing a guy, burying the body and running away. And he's basically held captive in the wilderness for 40 years, shepherding sheep on the backside of nowhere. But God uses Moses' captivity in the wilderness to teach him to trust him. He teaches him how to be prepared by shepherding sheep so that he can go and shepherd a nation from slavery and agony to freedom and joy from pain to the promised land. You see in the New Testament, Paul and Silas in Acts 16, Paul casts a demon out of a slave girl, a demon that had the ability to tell the future and so it ruined her owner's fortune telling business. And the Bible tells us that Paul and Silas then are dragged into the marketplace and that they were flogged, thrown in jail into the innermost part of the prison and their feet were secured with stocks and in terrible circumstances held captive, they sing joyful praises to God and God delivers them. And some of you in here tonight, you're not shepherding sheep on the backside of nowhere and you're not being thrown into prisons, but you are held captive to different things. You're captive to the applause of man, to achieving notoriety or popularity or whatever it is that you battle. And I don't know what you're fighting. It could be disappointment or discouragement, pain or sorrow. I don't know what your circumstances are or what makes you feel like a captive in your life, but I do know this, so let me encourage you with this. There's a way out. There's a way out. Our joy in Jesus isn't based on the stability of our circumstances. It's greater than our circumstances, but God will often allow us to be held captive like Moses and Paul so that we can learn that the key to freedom is faith. And that faith brings us an inexpressible joy. God teaches us obedience in the wilderness so that if he chooses to bring us into the spotlight, we aren't blinded by the lights of men, but we're focused on the glory of God. 
He allows us to have these moments in our life where we feel captive so that he can teach us that our position shouldn't dictate our praise, right? That you'll praise from the prison or the palace because you know that the power of your praise in the hands of God goes infinitely further than any power you have within your own hands because your worship declares power in Christ's victory on the cross over the power of your own circumstances that you feel like are holding you captive, It's us saying, God, I trust you. I'm nothing and can do nothing without you. And that's where we miss it. We feel like joy and satisfaction would be found if we could just get our hands on a few different things. But joy and satisfaction isn't found in the absence of a struggle in your life. It's found in the presence of God in the middle of your struggle. That's why the Queen of Sheba's story is so spectacular. She's on a mission to find what she's missing. She travels for years, brings the best of the best with her. She is traversing deserts. She's scaling mountains. She's fighting off thieves. Nothing is going to stop her from finding these answers that will satisfy the depths of her soul. And so my question for us tonight is this, how far are you willing to go and how determined are you to do whatever you must in order to seek Christ more deeply? You know, I think a lot of us probably saw Second Chronicles 9 and were like, is that a book in the Bible? I don't, like, I, what is Chronicles, you know? I mean, what is the Queen of Sheba? Isn't that like a Beyonce video? I, th- that's a person in the Bible? And it's interesting, though. You know, Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he brings up the Queen of Sheba in Matthew 12, 42. He says this. He calls her by a different name. He says, the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. He was saying to them, listen, the queen of Sheba, she came from the ends of the earth. She did whatever it takes to find the answers and everything she was looking for. She went through everything that you could imagine on this earth to get there. She knew she was missing something, but you're over here looking over here and there for joy and satisfaction, feeling like you can earn your way to God or feeling like there's something that you have to teach other people that puts you above them. But I'm telling you what's going to ultimately bring you joy and satisfaction is standing right in front of you. And you're not even asking me the questions you need to be asking. You're not even looking to the truth of God that is literally manifest here. And that's what a lot of us do. We look for joy and satisfaction in all of these different things and places and people and opportunities and we're missing that joy and satisfaction that's standing right in front of us. We're missing it. That we can have a relationship with Jesus right here and right now. And listen, I don't say any of that to make us feel bad. I don't say that to remind you of, hey, you're a captive to something. Like, unlock it. Let's go. What are you doing? Get your act together. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that so that you can understand that freedom's available to you and you're exhausting yourself when you seek joy and satisfaction somewhere other than Christ. And I want you to feel the joy of a Jesus who lives and loves you right here and now. But I'm sure some of you hear all this and you think, well, Luke, I get it. That's great. Um, I just don't think you get what's going on in my life, man. You can't talk to me like you know me. This is the messiest season I've ever been in. I've never had anxiety this high. I've never been this discouraged in my life. So I just don't know that any of this is possible for me. But Psalm 126.5 says this, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. 
that even in our sorrows, in our deepest struggles and discouragements, he's saying, the psalmist is saying to continue to sow the seeds that God has given you. And if your anxiety is too high, if you're too discouraged to go and get a pail to water those seeds, then water them with your tears. Because even though we have sorrows and struggles now, God has promised us this, that what we sow in sadness, we will reap with gladness. That even though we have sorrows in this life, it's not that we're ever gonna be exempt from those sorrows, but we can rejoice because we have hope in them. We have the hope of Jesus. You see it displayed beautifully in John 11. In John 11, Jesus weeps over his friend Lazarus who has died, but then he raises him up to new life. Jesus weeps with us in our sorrows, but then he calls us out of that tomb of discouragement and pain so that we can rejoice in the life that we get to live by him, through him, and for him. You know, I have a, I have a favorite preacher. He's been dead for a long time now. I feel like it's okay to say that. You know, he can't hear. But here's the thing. Charles Spurgeon, he died before the turn of the 20th century. And I have a quote that I want to paraphrase. It's just perfect for what we're talking about here tonight. He said, there's no glory in being a soft soldier, someone with gorgeous medals, but never beautified by a scar or wound. Your spurs may, may jingle on pavement, but you've never smelled the gunpowder in battle. Oh, that we would choose the troubles that the Lord has appointed us and we wouldn't spare ourselves. What Spurgeon's trying to say there and what I'm trying to get across to you is that when we embark on a journey with Jesus, we can't skip the hard parts of the journey. We can't reap with shouts of joy if we don't sow in our sorrows. We can't rejoice in victory if we don't join in the fight. You may come into this place tonight and feel like sorrow is kicking your butt in the battle, but I'm here to tell you that joy has won the war. You look at 2 Chronicles 3 and, 3 and 4, it's so funny how it describes what the Queen of Sheba sees. She says, or it says, when the Queen of Sheba observed Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servants' residence, and his servants' attire, and the cupbearers in their attire, and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. Ladies, I mean, the Queen of Sheba, do you see what she's saying? She's seeing this guy, this Solomon guy, he's wise. He's financially stable. He's got a nice place. He treats his servants well, the people around him and beneath him well. And it takes her breath away. She's going, Lord have mercy. I need this man in my life. That's what I'm looking for. And all the girls that came with her are like, whoa, whoa. And she's like, I got dibs, I'm queen, okay? Like, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. I'm sorry about that. But seriously, you look, you look at this. And what's different about it? The queen's rich. She's got riches of her own. Solomon answers all of her questions and it takes her breath away. There's something different about Solomon, something that she's never observed before. Not just incredible wisdom, not all of his riches, but his God. You look at what she says in verses five through eight. She says to him, the report I heard in my own country about your words and your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe their reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half of your great wisdom. You far exceed the report I heard. My wife said the same stuff to me when we met. It's crazy. She said, how happy are your men? How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom? Blessed be the Lord your God. 
He delighted in you and put you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel enough to establish them forever, he has set you over them as king to carry out justice and righteousness. And the passage ends in verse 12 after they exchange gifts by saying, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba her every desire. Whatever she asked, far more than she had brought the king, then she along with her servants returned to her own country. The queen of Sheba goes on this journey seeking answers. No fame or fortune could fill this God-sized hole in her heart, but by the end of the trip, she's proclaiming, blessed be the Lord, your God. You know, some of you are seeking joy and satisfaction. Some of us, I should say, are seeking joy and satisfaction. And we're exhausted because we're looking in the wrong places. Even some of us that know Jesus, we're looking to temporary things, hoping that they're gonna bring us eternal joy. You know, I talk to so many people, young people in particular, young adults, they're like, man, I'd have so much joy and satisfaction in my life, Luke, if I just found my husband, found my wife, if I could just travel more, had more money, if I was recognized a little bit more, if people appreciated me, a little bit more. You know, my dad, my brother and I, we used to watch this show called Parts Unknown and the host was a, a guy, a chef named Anthony Bourdain and he would travel the world. He'd go to the craziest places, eat the most amazing food. He'd go to these cities that you're like, man, I'd do anything to go to that city one day at the best places in that city. But then at the same time, he'd go and meet with people in the most obscure tribes that you didn't even know existed somewhere in like the Amazon. I mean, this guy was everywhere. He made more than $20 million in his life. He was friends with actors and musicians, even presidents. But this summer, while filming the show in France, hangs himself in his room, kills himself. And you go, how can that happen, man? How can that happen? I mean, he's living the life that I wanna live. How? And here's what I don't want you to miss tonight. I don't want you to think that I'm in here saying, hey guys, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you because I'm afraid that you're gonna chase becoming rich, powerful, and famous, and then you're gonna get it and find that everything is worthless. But if you fail, it's just gonna be this huge issue, right? That's not what I'm saying. Like if you chase it and you don't get it and it feels worthless, that doesn't concern me at all. What freaks me out is that you'll pursue becoming rich, famous, and powerful, that you will achieve those things, and then you'll find out that it's worthless. That you'll get to the highest worldly point possible and realize there's nothing up here. It's nothing compared to the ultimate joy and satisfaction that can only be found in a relationship with the living, eternal God. You know, Augustine wrote one of the finest pieces of Christian literature ever, and he has this quote that just succinctly encompasses what everyone as a Christ follower should want their life to be. He says, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek him life's greatest journey, and to find him the greatest human achievement. All great journeys make great stories, but all great stories feature both pain and joy. Jesus didn't say the journey would be easy. He said the journey would be worth it. That when we set sail on a journey to seek God deeply, 
will find ourselves entering these uncharted waters. We will have days where we feel like the water is as smooth as glass and we're just kind of gliding through life, but we'll also have moments where we feel like the waves are coming and the storms are coming and we've never seen things get that crazy and we just hope that we're gonna survive. We live at a time right now in history where everyone is so easily offended and defensive that we have an unrealistic view of doing whatever it takes to pursue God, to seek God. We can't believe that God would bring us to a place where we feel broken, but we feel wildly entitled to God's blessings. It's a privilege to seek God and know that you'll find him. It's a privilege to do that, even when it's hard. Because the fact of the matter is, man, if God were as easily offended as people are today, heaven would be empty. But God's goodness doesn't stop where the storms in your life start. Don't make the mistake of only following God and trusting God when the seas are smooth. Don't make the mistake of only traveling until you get to mile 900 and things get difficult so you turn around. Don't turn around when the storms make the waters rise and the waves get really choppy. Even if the storms come, praise him. Even if the journey takes an unexpected turn, continue to seek him. The depths of your joy in Jesus go way further down than the anchor of your problems can reach. So if you'll keep sailing, you will find land. You will find that joy and that satisfaction as you continue to pursue Jesus. Don't be an only if believer, be an even if believer. God, even if things get difficult in my life, I will seek you. Because here's the reality that for all the pains that the Queen of Sheba went through to seek answers from Solomon, it's nothing compared to the pains that Jesus Christ went through in order to seek us. He left the comforts of heaven for the cross of Calvary to meet you in your mess, wash you clean and call you his. The joy of the journey is that we are never truly lost. We may feel lost, but we know where home is. It's at the foot of the cross on a road paved by the blood of Christ, blood that was poured out for us so that in all of our seeking, we could know that he sought us, that when we felt lost, he found us, and that when we were dead in our sins, he brought us new life in him. You don't need validation from people or achievements in your life. If you're in Christ, you have his validation and you can rest on his achievement on the cross. And really, here's my whole sermon in a sentence in case you're wondering. Jesus sees you, and until that's enough, nothing else will be. That's where you find joy and satisfaction, in a relationship with your Savior. It's not gonna be found in anything else that this world says pursue, and you'll find it. You have to go to the word of God and say, God, what am I looking for? And it'll point you straight to the cross of Christ, and that is where you will find the ultimate joy and satisfaction that you so desperately crave and desire. You have already been validated by God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has said everything that ever needs to be said about you. There's nothing you need to do or achieve that's gonna make people like you more, that's gonna bring you eternal joy and satisfaction. You wanna get to the end of your life and be exhausted for the lengths that you went through in order to find Christ on a deeper level and say, God, I am ready to get to the end of my journey so I can go home, truly be home with you. And so I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you're seeking or what you feel like should be bringing you joy and it just simply isn't. 
but I wanna pray for that. I wanna pray for those chains to break. I wanna pray that you would just experience something like you've never experienced before in this place, that it would start now. God, I just, I hate it, I hate it. What the culture says this generation needs to do, what it needs to pursue, think on, reach for. God, you're doing a greater work in this place, in people. God, let all these chains be broken. Let all these things that we're chasing become something that we see clearly for the first time as distractions from you. And God, let us go full throttle, fully engaged in pursuing you and knowing you and making you known so that the rest of the world would know that they have hope and hope has a name. His name is Jesus and that he has bought them with his own blood, washed them clean, and called them his, bringing him into the family as sons and daughters of the God in heaven who has validated him and her with every single drop of his blood. God, I ask that you would do this now in Jesus' name, amen.